It's 2021, a new year and a new series from the Zone Logos podcast. I'm Amy Clarkson and welcoming you to this new series. Unlike last season, which we went through the book of 1 John from the Bible week by week, this season I wanted to do an audio version of a book I wrote. It's called Simple. How Kids Help Us Understand God. You can find the book on Amazon. Just type in the title or my name, Amy Clarkson. And many of you may have already read this book. But I think sometimes digesting information and thoughts by listening is more effective. Regardless, I wanted to record an audio version of the book anyways. So what better way to do it than put it on a podcast? We'll do a chapter each episode. Let's get started. This is Simple, How Kids Help Us Understand God. Introduction. One of the things I learned in medical school was that patients appreciate the simplification of complex topics. It did no one any good to rattle off Latin-based words and superior-sounding terms. People even have a name for this, doctor speak. For example, the doctor may tell a patient, your Chem 7 showed elevated creatinine, extremely concerning for acute renal failure, so I need you to do a workup and let's do a full renal panel. Or a doctor could say, the blood work we did showed that one of the proteins your kidneys is supposed to filter is higher than normal. We need to find out if your kidneys are just stressed out from an infection or something else minor, or if there's more going on. To do that, we need to get some more blood work and run a few more tests. While doctor speak is more succinct than using everyday language, it usually creates intellectual distance and sometimes even fear or misunderstanding. I always found it satisfying when the light bulb of understanding went off in a patient's eyes as we discussed medical things. In the same way, there is appreciable gratification when tough spiritual concepts can be simplified and grasped. As a doctor, I would pull out analogies from plumbing to try to conceptualize the heart or computing or electric circuits to describe something in the nervous system. I've used the idea of a drain for the liver and the armed forces for the immune system. These leaps weren't meant to disrespect the sophisticated concepts of the original, merely to communicate and allow greater understanding overall. It's taking something known to explain the unknown. It's the same with theology. In an attempt to take the unexplainable and beyond, sometimes I can understand it better with something immediate that I do comprehend. As a way to conceptualize specific faith topics, I have noticed in discussions with friends or taking part in Bible study that I revert to my role as a parent or as a grown child who was parented. While I do not pretend to comprehend parenting most of the time, it is in front of me daily, and there are plenty of aha moments available for my guidance. 
here's the thing. You may not be a parent, but you were a child at some point and parented by someone. It may have been a sibling, a relative, or friends. It doesn't have to have looked traditional, and it may have been dysfunctional. But everyone can go there when we talk about kids and parents. So let's do this. Let's take a look at ways that kids and parents can help us understand God as he relates to us, his children. Chapter 1, Pain and Suffering You've come across them. In fact, you may be one of them. Someone who says that they have lost their faith. It's an interesting phrase, almost implying that faith is an object that got misplaced. I suppose for some, that's just it. Faith is piled somewhere under obligations, schedules, or doubt. Others just don't trust religion as an institution, so they have left the church as an organized activity. Lost faith can also be a big deal, like losing a friend or a job or a pet, as in gone, over, or deceased. Or it may be someone who has left the idea of God behind. To this person, depending how vital God ever was to them, the loss may be at this point no big deal. Faith to them is a distant memory of childhood or just a season of life. Regardless of whether the loss of faith is accidental or intentional, there are countless people right this moment on the brink of walking away from their faith. It begs the question, what took place in the past or what is currently happening that is nudging these individuals away from belief in God? What causes the loss? Don't you think that behind many of the stories of loss you find disappointment? The institution of church failed them, or a person identified with faith failed them, or perhaps even God failed them. There are so many heartbreaking narratives along these lines of abandonment that exist. The failures are destructive and confusing. Whether it's the church or a person that instigated the harm, the deeper question I always hear is, why would God, who is loving, allow something unloving to happen? You've heard that, right? Even if not in those words, it's one of the big questions behind the I'm out of here flight from faith. This question of why is such an old universal question that to help soothe the dissonance, some people have pat answers they like to dole out. Can you think of some you've heard? For instance, well, we live in a sinful world. That's why that tornado just obliterated that town. What? Or we all have choices and those choices have consequences. So don't blame God when you get pregnant at 15. Yikes. Another one I've heard people say is that God can't intervene with everything. If he did, we wouldn't have free will. To which, if I were suffering, I would be sure to reply, yes, but I'm not asking for him to get involved with everything or everyone, just me. The problem with these one-liners is that they aren't satisfying at all. They don't quench the question. They offer up nebulous concepts. The intent may be to offer hope, 
but our one-liners usually end up making us feel worse than before. We are going to take a look at pain and suffering in the realm of parent and child interactions. But I'm guessing this won't assuage or get rid of the personal damage you or others may have from past or current unhealed hurts. I do, however, believe it can give us a way to at least begin to understand the constructs in which God has chosen to operate. It's like if you were playing a board game that you didn't know the rules to, but you were losing miserably. Your pain would be twofold, the pain of losing and the pain of not understanding why you were losing. If someone took the time to explain how the game worked, it might not change your annoyance at losing, but at least your loss would make sense. To take a look at human suffering, let's use an analogy right before us, our homes. When I say home, I mean the place we live, be it an apartment, a condo, a dorm room, etc. Think about the structure itself, the walls, roof, floors, doors, these permanent objects are the framework of our home, just as there is a framework in the larger world that we live in that includes things like habitat, weather, and the laws of nature. Much of the pain and suffering we experience in the world is due to the environment we inhabit. To understand this type of pain, we can use the place where we live as a mini example of the world. The same natural laws at play within the universe are valid for our homes as well. Picture this then. My home and your home are filled with objects. There's furniture, things on the walls, electronics, too many in my case. You may have carpet or wood floors. Maybe you have animals, stairs, toys lying around. I have all of those, which means I also have dirt, dust, and piles in my home. There may be windows which leak in the cold, and even a door you've meant to fix that bursts open at times when large gusts of wind hit. I mention all of these details because it's important to understand that my home is not static. It's always changing. It will change even if my family or I am not there. In fact, left to itself, it will decompose as things continue to move towards chaos and degradation. This sounds extreme, doesn't it? But I've experienced firsthand what an abandoned structure can become. My husband's uncle had a cabin he stopped using. This wasn't a rustic cabin. It had plumbing and heat and electricity. Ten years of no humans occupying the place and the cabin was condemnable. Water pipes froze and leaked. Mice and animals found their way inside. Wood rotted, fungus grew, and nature took over. Why is this important to understand? It's crucial because natural law is a real thing at work in the environment. My little home is a microcosm of the world we live in full of objects, inanimate and alive, always changing. As a resident of planet Earth, 
Some of the pain that occurs is merely a result of living in an environment that operates under natural law. To better explain this, let's take a look at some of the pain and suffering my children have experienced as residents of the Clarkson home, which operates under natural law, just like our environment. There was a time when each of my kids had grown to the misfortunate height of being a half a centimeter taller than the underneath of our counters. For years, they had whisked around the home oblivious to the surfaces that jutted out of our island or hung slightly over the counters. But overnight, it would seem, they suddenly grew enough to graduate from under counter walkers. The transition was brutal. Unaware of the change, they would gallop for a toy or make a beeline for dinner and their little head would run smack dab into the counter. The first few times were always shocking, the pain confusing, their little minds trying to understand where this object came from. Later, there was less shock and more exasperation when they'd forget and re-injure themselves. For me, as a, their parent, it was also terrible. I would often see the collision split seconds before it would happen. I would wince and then hear the thud and outburst. Of course, I'd immediately wrap my arms around them in comfort, trying to soothe the sting. I often caught myself trying to gently remind them, Buddy, you can't fit under there anymore. I'm so sorry. You've got to remember the counter is there. Think of all the potential disasters in our homes. They are innumerable. There are stairs to trip down, corners to run into, doors to slam fingers in, outlets to get shocked from, bunk beds to fall out of, walls to jam toes into. I can tell you it isn't just the kids who have suffered from living in this home. Just yesterday, I misjudged a door opening and ran my shoulder into the door frame. I hollered and lamented my mistake. Guess what I didn't do, though? I didn't blame the home builder for my bruised shoulder. I didn't question the design of the home, either. I accept that part of living in this house means there will be some moments of pain that are the result of the home itself. Take the leap with me. The world is much more complicated than my home. There are things at play like weather, the environment, and the natural terrain that are all a part of planet Earth. These are things completely out of our control. My children didn't choose their height, their flexibility, birth order, gender, etc. And yet, those things influence how they interact with the structure and objects that occupy our home. In the same way, you didn't choose what state or country you were born in or what era to arrive in. However, that random part of your life, where you live, when you live, changes the likelihood of you experiencing hurricanes, earthquakes, droughts, floods, tornadoes, fires, mudslides, or blizzards. Those natural events are incredibly destructive. People suffer and die in those catastrophes. To think that God is causing those circumstances 
is akin to thinking that as a parent, I'm generating the pain my kids experience from growing tall enough to run into counters. Wait, you say. God is all-powerful, right? He could stop those disasters if he wanted. So by not interfering, he's still culpable. To reason this argument out, let's go back to the home analogy and pretend power was granted to me to intervene in supernatural ways. What might that look like in the head trauma counter situation? I suppose I could make it so my kids wouldn't grow past a certain height. That would be a way to intervene to prevent pain. Uh, but the consequences of being 32 inches tall forever might offer a different kind of pain. I've got it. I could move around the walls, doors, stairs, and counters continually to prevent anyone from hurting themselves. You know what would happen in that situation, right? To stop one child from smacking into the wall by supernaturally moving it, I would inadvertently cause a different child to run into it, or worse, change the home in such a way that new calamities ensued, such as a roof collapse or a storm to blow inside. The point being, if God began to intervene in the natural world to prevent all harm, to what end would that be? Would there be an arbitrary scale of what was an okay discomfort to go through versus true tragedy? Stopping the flood today may worsen the drought tomorrow. Bringing sun on your wedding day may interfere with the farmer praying desperately for rain for his crops. I'll tell you what bothers us about this type of pain. It's out of our control. Sometimes what we try to do to combat that icky feeling of things being out of control is think our worthiness or goodness has something to do with environmental suffering. The Bible is pretty clear on this one. Matthew 5.45 from the NIV says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, that lightning that struck your neighbor's tree, sending a tree limb through your roof and crushing your car, was not because you haven't been to church in a month. It's just an example of the harm we experience as humans from living in the natural world. The harm that we experience just because we are alive and live in a natural habitat also encompasses more than just weather and natural disasters. What other things do we not have control over that just is? What about the structure of ourselves? My severe nearsightedness just is. I didn't do anything to cause it, and no one else did anything to create it. It's in my genes. My brother inherited high blood pressure. Not too many high school students need medication to prevent heart disease, but he did. Pain and suffering from the structure of natural laws at play on Earth, as well as the structure of the natural laws at play within our bodies, are not God-mandated. You might be wondering why, then, God didn't make things perfect in the beginning, 
Why not design a perfect environment without natural disasters and a perfect being without disease and handicaps? Oh, he did. The design, Eden, the Garden of Eden, was perfection. It was us who messed things up. There is another danger in my house besides the home itself, which is the other people living in that space. Let me tell you this is where I spend a majority of my energy as a parent when it comes to injury and harm. Like my kids, the majority of the pain and suffering we experience in our world is due to the other people that inhabit this earth with us. Just pause for a moment and think of something painful you recently experienced. Was another human involved? I'm going to guess the answer is yes. The pain from other humans has two forms, either inadvertent or deliberate. I see this with my kids all the time. Inadvertent pain comes when one child leaves a Lego on the floor and an unsuspecting foot is assaulted by the sharp edges of the plastic as the weight of the child or adult steps on it. Those little blocks can cause me to scream and hop around like my foot has been cut off. Other times, the harm is well thought out. I've watched a sibling karate kick another or release a Nerf dart directly into someone's face. I might have chuckled a little when my son convinced his sister to let him try a death grip on her, as she should have seen that one coming. Those are all examples of physical hurt, but emotional harm is just as present. I wish I could say my kids think before they speak. More likely than not, I hear words spoken effortlessly that easily tear down, taunt, and sear their siblings' egos. Like with the physical pain, the words that wound my children are at times deliberate and at times inadvertent. At a certain age, when my son would exclaim, I got to have ice cream at school today, the sad faces of his siblings surprised him. He didn't realize his declaration would make them feel bad. However, as he aged, that same statement is often sent as a purposeful zinger intent on stirring up jealousy. Here's what makes this type of pain much more complicated. Even if my kids never spoke to each other, which would ensure no accidental or purposeful hurt from words, and even if they didn't actually play together, thus limiting the chance of physical pain, they would likely still get hurt just because they all occupy the same house. The structure of birth order, gender, personality, and abilities set them up for constant comparisons. There is pain when one child is naturally more gifted on an instrument and another child happens to struggle. There is pain when one gets invited to a party and the others don't. Just sharing space with people who are different than us is a setup for hurt. Let's move it out of the realm of childhood and think about our current selves. How much of our hurts can we blame on the action of others? Sometimes 
it is inadvertent. Someone runs a red light and slams into a car, leaving the driver paralyzed. A doctor might assure a patient that there's nothing to worry about missing a crucial diagnosis and a chance to treat. A woman with her fifth pregnancy could excitedly announce how it seems her and her husband just have to look at each other in the right way and she's pregnant. In the company of a friend who struggled with infertility for years. These are all examples of unintentional physical and emotional pain. Unfortunately, many times it is deliberate. Bullying, abuse, neglect, belittling, prejudice. Humans are capable of using their actions and words to inflict horrific pain on each other. Then, to complicate things, much of the pain we experience from other people is neither inadvertent nor planned, but just because we share space and were created in unique ways. Every time another human gets the job we applied for or beats us in the competition or makes the team instead of us or goes on the vacation we've always dreamed of, it hurts. Why? Because their success makes us feel unworthy or it feels unfair. Therefore, by merely living on a planet with other people, we are set up for pain as the world tries to split us into the chosen and the not chosen. Where is God in this type of pain? The affliction we experience based on the actions of others is often still blamed on God. Why didn't God stop the car from slamming into the other? Why didn't he make the doctor get the diagnosis right? Why didn't he prevent the woman from bragging about her prolific fertility? The logic goes, if he can intervene, why doesn't he? To help grasp this, we need to jump back to the parenting relationship. As a parent, I technically have the power to stop much of the affliction my kids dish out to each other. But... What does the intervention look like? It's easy to envision grabbing my son's arm right before he smacks his brother, holding him back and preventing injury. But what about the hurtful taunt that came right before the wind-up of the arm? Should I block that too? And if it was a sour look that initiated this, should that be prevented? Here's what I've witnessed as a parent. A little banter quickly can turn into a war of words spewed with such intensity and volume that many times I've worried our neighbors might hear and wonder what apocalypse was at hand. In the same way, a few gentle nudges can slide quickly into full punches and tears in seconds. Thus, to intervene and prevent the big stuff, I would have to intervene in the little things which means the only real solution is to ask for separation and silence. They can't speak to each other, and they can't be in the same room with one another. That's the only way to make sure that they are pain-free from affliction caused by one another. You see where we are going, right? To completely prevent pain as a parent, 
I would need to enforce constant isolation. Merely coming in contact with one another would have the potential for something to go wrong. So, solitary confinement it would be. Extrapolating that out to God, if we expect him to intervene in the tribulation we experience from others, he would have to keep us separated and silent. That's extreme, you suggest. Just have him prevent the big things. I've heard people say, why couldn't God have just stopped certain terrible people from being born? Think of some of the ultra bad guys out there. Couldn't he just have prevented their births? But then again, what's the definition of ultra bad? Is it someone causing many deaths? Someone causing one death? Someone causing terrible injury or harm to many? What about someone causing terrible injustice or injury to one? Where would he stop intervening and finally allow someone to be born? Well, you say, let them be born, but let him just interfere with their free will so they won't do the harmful thing. I could do this for my children, too, if they were programmable robots, if I could program my children with me in charge of every action, I think we could live in a pain-free home and life together. But then, as a parent, I'd be sacrificing any hope of a relationship with love and gratitude in it for the ease of behavior and a peaceful environment. The moment I set myself responsible for every action they take, I permanently take away their ability to freely love me. God could have made us perfect beings without the ability to make bad decisions, and then we would have been robots. However, if we were robots, there would be no chance for a relationship. Not just relationship with God, but with each other. Without the ability to choose to love, there is no such thing as love itself. Not to mention, robots don't have any real emotions. I don't know about you, but a pain-free existence isn't worth the loss of love and relationships to me. There is one more concept to explore about suffering. Ourselves. Some of the pain we experience is due to our own choices. Believe it or not, my kids have the hardest time with this one. They would rather sulk and stew and point their fingers at their siblings for being the cause of pain than to sit with the realization that they are indeed to blame for their hurt. It can be quite comical watching children avoid blame. We were at the airport recently eating a quick bite in between flights. A half-filled drink sat on an empty chair that my youngest didn't see. He sat down recklessly, knocking the cup over on him, the seat, and the floor. The very first words out of his mouth were, I didn't spill it. 
His pants were soaked. He was embarrassed and experiencing pain. He looked around frantically in his hurt, trying to find someone or something else responsible. But undoubtedly, he also wanted us to know it wasn't him. Just like the previous section, the pain that is due to our self-responsibility can be either inadvertent or deliberate. The drink spill of my son was not purposeful. It was an accident from inattention to his surroundings. In the same way, when I see my daughter zipping across the room at top speed in her socks, I cringe inwardly knowing that this will not end well on our wood floors. Sure enough, I'll hear the sound of her slipping and sliding and finally the injury. It wasn't on purpose, but the setup was there for disaster. Other times it's calculated. If I were you, I'd get my homework done before screen time. They ignore that familiar phrase all too often. And the decision to postpone the work morphs into forgetting which in turn gives rise to panic and tears the next morning on the way to school. My response is not overly sympathetic, as the pain I witnessed in my child is not only self-inflicted, but something I had explicitly warned against. Isn't this true of us as well? Can't you think of an example of self-inflicted pain you've caused yourself? When my husband and I jumped into a remodel project early that went over budget, I had the kind of pain that makes it hard to breathe as I saw our bank account drop to just dollars. I was fearful and upset and in emotional distress, but there was no one to blame but myself. Self-imposed pain isn't always consciously deliberate meaning it may take time to see the results of poor decisions. If I'm working 60 hours a week and my marriage starts to fail, what seemed like a right decision to work overtime for more money may be responsible for the marital strain. Many of our choices may be for good reasons, but have unintended consequences that still cause self-inflicted pain. Where does God fit into the idea of self-induced pain? Just think for a moment about what you do with children, and then you know that God is doing this more perfectly and thoroughly than we even are. For me as a parent, to prevent self-caused pain, I try to offer wisdom and boundaries. I might set a rule about the amount of technology allowed, to ensure less painful consequences from indulgence. Sometimes I offer advice, suggesting that wearing shorts while it's snowing may not be the greatest idea. Do I, though, ever intervene and prevent bad choices? Not usually. I'm not sure my kids would ever learn how to make decisions for themselves or be able to understand consequences and actions if I didn't let them experience the pain that comes from unwise choices. I'm aiming for independent adults who don't need to call me when they are 30 years old to ask me what time they should set their alarm in the morning to have time to get to their new job.
Did you notice I said I don't usually intervene? There are times I pull the parent card and say, sorry, you are six years old and you're not going to be watching The Walking Dead. Or you will wear this helmet when you attempt skateboarding. No exceptions. God does this too, I believe. Usually not intervening with our decisions, but at times closing doors as we try to step through as a way of saying, sorry, definitely not this choice. Now, even when I do intervene to try to prevent major catastrophes, can my kids sidestep my absolutes? Yes, my son can sneak an iPad and still watch something we've not given a choice to watch. In the same way, can we blast through a door God's trying to close to prevent a significant hurt? Yes. For a majority of things, though, like a parent, he offers us wisdom and boundaries that are meant to make life easier, and then he lets us make our own decisions. The most basic of these limitations are the Ten Commandments, though the Bible is chock full of advice on living in a way that reduces the chance of self-inflicted consequences. Everything passed on to us is meant to either protect or provide. If you have some time, read the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. See if you can figure out how each commandment is meant to protect us from brokenness and heartache or provide a more whole and fulfilled life. I still recall learning in medical school that the reason we give newborns a vitamin K shot after delivery is to prevent bleeding during circumcision. Babies are naturally born with too little vitamin K, which is crucial in the clotting process. Our bodies do make vitamin K, but that doesn't start until the fifth day after we are born. Vitamin K helps the liver produce something called prothrombin, which does the clotting so we don't bleed to death. Interestingly, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, God commands Abraham to wait until the eighth day of a newborn male's life to perform circumcision. Guess which one day of a male's life his prothrombin levels are above the normal level, which means the one day he has more than enough material to protect himself from a cut. His eighth day of life the specific day God told Abraham to perform a procedure known to cause bleeding. That command is a prime example of something meant to protect us. We did not discover the actual science behind clotting until the 1930s, and yet God the Creator, of course, knew how the body worked and declared the law. Abraham was expected to act out of obedience, not knowing the medical reason why God chose the eighth day. I would bet you can think of other things the Bible instructs us to do or not do 
that can save us from future pain if we abide by the wisdom. Here's a quick example. I'm using the message version for this because this sounds exactly like something I tell my children. Ephesians 4.31 out of the message says, Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle to one another, sensitive. Such simple wisdom that isn't an arbitrary command, but there to prevent pain with each other. As a parent, I am aware of the daily potential for my children to experience a hurt of some kind. It may occur just as an occupant of our home, the only fault being that they are in fact alive and happen to reside in this particular place. Other pain may come from accidental or intentional aggression from the other humans in this house. Finally, there is suffering that comes from my children's behavior, meaningful or incidental actions that are ultimately harmful to themselves. My role, I think, is not unlike what God does with us. I try to give out wisdom and set rules to make existing together in our space less risky for causing suffering. Ultimately, however, I know hurts occur despite the boundaries. In those instances, my natural reaction is to comfort, soothe, and encourage. Their pain also rubs off on me. My heart aches when my kids suffer, just because I love my children. Interestingly, it wasn't until I felt that bottom-dropping sadness of empathy and compassion for my kids when they experienced pain that I was able to get a glimpse of what God must feel like when I am hurting. It doesn't matter the nature of their pain, whether they ran into a wall were pushed down by a sibling, or ate an entire bag of popcorn and are nauseated. Their pain at that moment makes my heart ache. I gather them to me to acknowledge their hurt. That's half of the healing, just having someone else say, I see your hurt, and I am so incredibly sorry that happened to you. Can you hear and know that God says that to you? Maybe you have never had someone say that to you, and it's why you are only half healed. Whatever the hurt is, know that God sees it and is trying to comfort you. Even if you scream, like my son sometimes does in his pain, it's all your fault. God can absorb it, and he is saying, that should not have happened to you. I am so sorry. We started with a question. How can God exist or be loving when terrible and ugly things happen to us all the time? Well, as a parent, I exist and consider myself loving. And yet, terrible and ugly things happen to my kids in my home. I hate to say it, but at this stage, I don't think a day goes by that someone doesn't experience some type of hurt. That fact in no way changes the reality, though, of my love for my children. 
I would even go so far as to say that the pain is the proof of my love. It is my profound adoration for them that provides a home of beauty and complexity rather than a sterile, non-harmful space. It is my craving for a relationship that allows for their unique differences in personality and my respect for them as individuals that grants them the ability to make choices. It is my unending love and hope for them to mature into whole beings that allows the consequences of their decisions to play out. An empty room of isolation as a house and robotic exactness for family members is not my idea of loving at all. Perhaps it's the same with God. The hurts and suffering we experience are evidence of how much God loves us, respects our autonomy, and ultimately desires a relationship with us.